Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us, letting us be part of your day. We appreciate it as we continue the uh, living in this new reality of dealing with COVID-19. We hope you are doing well. Here's what we'll be talking about today. Charlie Arnott, CEO for the Center for Food Integrity, will join us. They've done some interesting uh, research at what people are buying during this crisis. We know a lot of them are buying toilet paper, but what are some of the other things that they're buying you might not think about? And what does this mean longer term? We'd already seen kind of a move towards food deliveries to homes. Will we see more of that coming out of this? We'll talk about that, what consumers are indicating. Steve Nicholson, grain and oil seeds analyst for Robo AgriFinance, will join us to talk about uh, the commodity markets during this crisis and marketing opportunities. And we're going to talk with Jim Mulhern, president and CEO of the National Milk Producers Federation, to look at how the dairy industry is dealing with this health crisis and what is being done to help dairy producers during these times as well. So all that coming up on today's program. We're going to start things off, though, with DTN reporter Todd Neely. Now, I should say, all guests on Adams on Agriculture are properly socially distanced. So we have way more than six feet of separation here. Todd, uh, <laughs> social distancing, Who do, we never even heard of that term, and now it's part of our everyday uh, vocabulary and um, our lives. Yeah, you know, Mike, it's interesting because, uh, you know, you drive in times of the day around town where you expect tons of traffic and the streets are mm-hmm. bare and uh, the grocery stores, I mean, even locally here, we're seeing, uh, you know, we've had no cases uh, here in Lincoln, Nebraska, but we've seen all kinds of better streets. And, uh, it, it, you know, you never you never really truly understand, uh, you know, how fast people can respond until you see like a, a situation like this where people are just scrambling, uh, trying to make up. Um, you know, for, for what's going on. And it's quite a unique, very unique experience. You know, we're talking nationally, you know, different, uh, different events that have been scheduled, um, you know, journalism events, things that we do. Uh, now we're, we're talking about not doing those. And so I don't know that I, uh, I don't know that I've ever seen a time like this in my entire existence where uh, so many people responded so fast to something. And, and it, it seems like uh, people are really paying attention and really doing what they're supposed to do. Yeah, I was out for my evening walk last night. Didn't hardly see anybody out. And as you said, the traffic's way down because, well, where are they going to go? I mean, the, most stores and restaurants are closed. So, they're, they're, you know, they're just everything was eerily quiet it's in my community as well. You know, I, looking ahead, and we don't know how long this is going to last, but uh, uh, right. I was thinking last night about some things coming out. It's one thing to be kept at home when the weather's kind of not so good anyway and you'd probably be inside a lot of the time but as the weather warms up and it's going to be harder to keep people inside they're going to want to be out and i was thinking about things like you know little league ball games county fairs all of that could be really impacted yeah absolutely i mean locally here we've seen everything imaginable canceled i mean it's been uh you know even if they're outdoor events you know baseball games i mean it, it's just entirely history i 
I think a lot of it has to do with we just don't obviously know uh, what this virus is really doing. You know, we've heard stories of people that don't even have symptoms, um, you know, who are spreading the virus and are carriers of the virus. And so it certainly does uh, come at an odd time. You know, we've got the planting season coming very soon. Uh, a lot of people making plans to get outside. And uh, you would think in a normal situation, in any kind of virus situation, you'd think it'd be okay to get out and plant. But gosh, we, we just don't know. And so it's really a lot of un, uncharted waters. And I think, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting here in the next couple of weeks uh, with these new CDC recommendations coming out, um, you know, gatherings of 10 or few people uh, is, is really going to see what, it's going to be interesting to see whether those have the effect of, of what they're looking for, you know, stemming the spread of the, of the virus. And right now, uh, it seems like we're doing about all we can. Well, I guess a farmer in a tractor cab out in the middle of a field, that's that's pretty socially distanced. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, there's there's nobody for miles. And so, yeah, you would. I, I do think, though, that we're probably here in the next few weeks, we're going to see some of these things kind of subside a little bit. And hopefully we can get back to some sense of normalcy. I think that's the interesting question, Todd. Once we yeah. get through this, however long that takes, is it back to the way we were, or what are some of the the lasting changes that will come out of this? Yeah, you know, it's interesting, you know, because through all this, I think people tend to forget how, you know, how widespread the flu season is. I mean, we've had thousands of deaths in this country from just the flu. Um, you know, you before that, you wouldn't see life shut down from the flu. And so I, I do wonder if, you know, if we're going to start taking drastic measures in this particular situation, you would think that, uh, maybe this has brought some sense of awareness on, on other things, you know, just our day-to-day lives, washing hands and, uh, you know, staying away from people who are coughing and sneezing and those sorts of things. I mean, I think as a general rule, you know, we try to do that anyway, but I, I do think that this definitely has raised that awareness, you know, and perhaps going forward, we're going to see people really take uh, some of those just normal things that we were used to a little bit more seriously. We know in agriculture how dependent upon China as a market for our our products we've become. Well, now we're reminded how dependent upon China we've become for things like medicine and, and uh, medical supplies. I would think that will have to be looked at and addressed moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Trump signed an executive order uh, along that lines that, you know, trying to buy things more locally. And I, and I think it's... Uh, you know, it kind of goes along with what Trump has been saying these past three years, you know, about America first and all these things. And I think, though, that, um, you know, as we look down the road, it definitely presents some opportunities in, in a sense. I mean, I think, you know, there's only a lot of good that can come from producing things locally and using things locally. And by locally, I mean, you know, just in our country. Um, and I, I do. I think you're right. I think we're going to see um, you know, we're going to see more in the, in, along those lines of people really looking at where they get their products. And, you know, China for a long time has provided us with a lot of a lot of products. And so uh, maybe this is the beginning of a, of a big shift. Well, we also I, and I've actually heard some of the, the media outlets uh, that usually don't talk about agriculture making the point. Hey, we've got food. We've got plenty of food. It's the distribution of it that may be challenged is if we have people sick that are part of that supply chain. Right. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we're seeing that in agriculture now with, with, the, with the beef industry. A lot of concern about packing plants and whether, 
you know, whether they should continue uh, at this point, at this point in the, in the battle. And I think, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see if we can get that done. I mean, there's obviously concerns about this. And I mean, one thing about it is we got to have food. And, and so far, the grocery stores aren't shutting down. But, um, you know, it's definitely something that's raised, I think, it's going to raise a lot of attention about the food systems and how we get things and how, you know, things are transported. Still a lot of questions for sure. Todd, thanks a lot. Be safe. All right, you too. Thanks. DTN reporter Todd Neely. Up next, Charlie Arnott, CEO for the Center for Food Integrity, tells us what are consumers buying when they're going to the grocery store and loading up? What else besides toilet paper are they stocking up on? We'll talk about it next on AOA. Farmers can't choose the weather, trade policy, or market prices, but they can choose the most advanced dicamba with confidence. Ingenia Herbicide has the lowest volatility of all dicamba salts for more successful on-target applications, and it's straight from the dicamba experts, BASF. So make the confident choice for your soybean crop. Talk to your BASF rep or authorized retailer. Ingenia Herbicide is a U.S. EPA restricted-use pesticide. Additional state restrictions may apply. Always read and follow label directions. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, if you've been to the grocery store lately, you've probably seen something you're not used to seeing in this country. Bare shelves. And it's not because we have shortages, it's because people are buying more than they normally do, and in some cases, hoarding. And we've talked about this before, when you buy more than you need, you're probably keeping someone from buying what they do need. So we need to all be more uh, responsible in, in how we're making these purchases during this uh, coronavirus situation. And... I've I've said this before. Uh, I'm always amazed that one of the first things people think they need to go out and do is stockpile toilet paper. We seem to have in this country a, a, a deep-seated, some conscious fear. Somehow we're going to run out of toilet paper. Uh, you go to the store. I can find bread. I can find milk, but you can't find toilet paper. So it, it's just interesting people's choices during situations like this. Along those lines, uh, some interesting research uh, from the Center for Food Integrity. Their CEO Charlie Arnott joins us. Charlie, thank you for being with us. Uh, it is interesting what people are buying when they go to the grocery store during these times. Yeah, it is. We are living in unprecedented times. That's for sure, Mike. And I appreciated your. Your caution and your warning, you're calling everybody to behave responsibly when we're out shopping to make sure there's enough for everyone, even with toilet paper. And uh, if you're already using more than six rolls a week, you probably should have seen a doctor long ago, but that's a whole other story. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it is really interesting what we're seeing. And there's kind of an interesting kind of juxtaposition here in terms of what people are doing. We're seeing buying patterns shift uh, as people are moving from shopping the perimeter, which had been kind of the trend that we've seen over the last couple of decades where people are buying more fresh, they're actually moving more to the middle of the store where people are buying more canned and frozen that they can they can take in and, and hold for a while. But the other interesting thing is that people are looking for some comfort. Uh, they're looking for some solace and some reassurance in these uncertain times. And so they're also spending money on indulgences. So whether that's a favorite beverage or some chocolate or cookies or something else, 
uh, we're seeing kind of those two things as people are looking for that indulgence to bring them a little joy, a little security during these anxious times. Um, we have a, a Consumer Trust Insights Council that has some of the, the best Consumer Trust Insights folks from around the country, uh, whether it's from PepsiCo or NPD Group or others, that meet monthly. And during our call last week, it was really interesting as they talk about how people are looking for some, some greater security uh, during this uncertain time, which, as you noted, can lead to hoarding. It's also driving people to the center of the store and to buy both those essentials and those things that make me happy. And so it's really interesting to see how the, the coronavirus and, and COVID-19 are beginning to impact consumer behavior. So people aren't just stocking up on health foods, right? They're, as you say, they're wanting some of the, those, uh, maybe those little, what we used to call guilty pleasures. They, they look, if they're going to be shut in, they, they want those with them. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So whether it's a, a package of Ho-Hos or some microwave popcorn or some deluxe chocolates, whatever it happens to be for you, people are looking for that. The other thing that we're seeing is is a, a drive toward homing and kind of more of the at-home economy where people are looking to find some comfort in their sanctuary. And so the meal delivery services are up dramatically. Uh, takeout is up dramatically and will continue to increase as people are uh, now not able to go and eat at a restaurant. Uh, so takeout will continue. And we also have streaming video. We have home delivery. So people have the opportunity to do what they want to do to be entertained at home. And food obviously plays a critical role in that. It's, a, it's an important part of our culture. It's something that uh, continues to make us feel uh, comfortable. And so we're seeing that combination of people looking for the staples that they can continue to keep on hand, but kind of doing a little more cocooning as they, they go back in and looking for those things that they know and trust. And so what will be interesting, I think, as this passes, Mike, is how much of that will, will remain, how much of that will be sustained as people go back to some of the staples uh, that perhaps they've moved away from over the last decade or so. Will we see more of that continue as people find some comfort in being more at home and perhaps cooking more and returning to some of the traditional foods uh, that perhaps were out of vogue for a while but now are back in as people are looking for that sense of comfort? We're talking with Charlie Arnott, CEO for the Center for Food Integrity. Charlie, I think that brings up an interesting question that I've been asking and wondering about. After this is over, uh, what new trends do we see? Do we just go back to the way we were? We were already seeing, in some age groups especially, a move towards uh, a food delivery and things like that. Uh, I, I, I think we'll see more of that moving forward. I think we will, Mike, particularly as it becomes more comfortable for different demographics. So millennials are already there as they want to gather in their homes to share food with friends, but they want to have it delivered or pick it up. So they aren't cooking, but they're getting that kind of food that they want to enjoy and bringing it home. I think we'll see that extend to other demographics as it becomes more commonplace. Um, here in Kansas City, uh, where, where, where I live, uh, the restaurants have been shut down. You cannot go to a restaurant and eat in the restaurant. Uh, but you can certainly get takeout. And so we're being inundated with text messages and emails from restaurants uh, encouraging those of us in the city to order and come pick it up. And that's what they will be doing. But, you know, this this will last for a period of time, and, and it's always interesting to, to see after there was something like this. Did this something Was this something that actually impacted a, a longer-term trend or a change in culture? or was it something that people did just during this particular time? And if people look for that greater flexibility, we want to enjoy what we enjoy, where we enjoy it, when we want to enjoy it, uh, takeout and delivery is likely to continue to increase as part of that. 
So it's a really fascinating time to kind of observe consumer behavior as we're all doing what we can to avoid uh, either catching or, or passing on the coronavirus or COVID-19, uh, but still want to be able to enjoy some of those things that bring us comfort and help us feel more secure in our home, uh, be it food and beverage or video streaming services or board games. All of those are seeing an increase in um, in purchase and in sales as people are looking for ways that they can enjoy their time together as they're spending more time now at home. Yeah, as you said, younger people are already kind of moving towards uh, the food delivery uh, system. I think some of the older people now forced to do it may find, well, maybe it's not as hard as we thought it was and more apt to do it in the future. That's right. That's right. And I think the quality and variety that people can find now is is dramatically different. Um, it's not just pizza and Chinese food anymore. You can get home delivery for just about anything from any restaurant, uh, whether it's from you know, there, there are a variety of services, whether it's Google, uh, uh, Uber Eats or DoorDash or you name the service that's prominent in your community. Uh, there are a number of them that make it very, very easy now for you to pick up the phone or order online and have it delivered directly to your door. And that's going to make it very convenient for people to do and to really continue to enjoy the restaurants that they've been enjoying but not have to go out. And so it will be interesting to see how that fundamentally changes the uh, the food service, the restaurant experience, the dining experience, as people are looking for those opportunities to continue to enjoy what they enjoy but to do more of it at home. The other thing that will be fascinating to see is, is how long can we maintain this kind of, of behavior as a country. Eight weeks is a long time uh, mm-hmm. where people begin to get a little stir-crazy and decide that they need to venture out, or are we willing to really kind of uh, stay isolated and, and maintain the distance that's being recommended over that period of time? Uh, we're, just at the, we're just at the start of this. And so, Mike, you know, what you do and what others do to help bring information to people is so crucially important in a time like this because people are constantly looking for that information to help them reorganize how they look at life uh, because we're in one of those periods of time where our basic assumptions are challenged about what we can do, where we can do it, how we make our life happen. All of that is being challenged today, so people are constantly looking for that information. I mentioned this earlier. It's one thing to be kind of shut into your homes when the weather's still kind of iffy, but as the weather gets better, it's going to be harder to keep people inside. Yeah, that's absolutely right. It is absolutely right. I think that's where we're going to see that challenge continue to, to happen. I know that I just uh, got notification from one of my seed catalogs that the first of my uh, my spring garden shipments is en route. And, man, I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait to get outside and start to plant some garden. Um, but it will become increasingly challenging to uh, be remote and to stay remote as the weather warms up, as the sun comes out, as we're accustomed to being outdoors and, and spending more time in, in gatherings, be it a baseball game or a barbecue, it will become increasingly challenging to keep people separated and isolated as uh, as the weather changes. As always, good to talk with you, Charlie. Thank you. Stay safe. Mike, same to you. Take care. Have a great day. You too. Charlie Arnott, CEO for the Center for Food Integrity. Interesting what people are buying and, uh, yeah, canned goods, frozen goods, things like that, but also the the candies and the cookies and those things that they're comfort foods that people want with them as there are uh, many of us being shut in right now as well. Well, how are the commodity markets, the the grain markets handling all of this, and what are some market opportunities through this situation? Robbo Agrofinance 
grain and oilseeds analyst Steve Nicholson joins us next on AOA. Weeds want to restrict your freedom and crush the spirit of your soybeans. Never fear. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of superior weed control is here with Liberty Herbicide. Stand proud with greater application flexibility, unmatched convenience, and excellent performance combined with the Liberty Link, Liberty Link GT27, and Enlist E3 trait systems. And it has no known resistance in U.S. row crops. Talk with your BASF rep or authorized retailer about Liberty Herbicide. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, as we see about every part of our lives being changed or impacted in some way by the coronavirus, uh, what about the, the commodity markets and where we go from here as we head towards planting time? Let's bring in Steve Nicholson, uh, grain and oil seeds analyst for Robo AgriFinance. Steve, thanks for joining us. Uh, how are How are the commodity markets, our grain markets reacting to all this? Well, um, I guess it depends on what point of point you are, but I would say from the producer's point of view, poorly. Um, you know, I, a lot of this, good morning, Mike, I should say that up front. I hope you're safe and safe and healthy. Um, you know, it, a lot of this has been driven by crude oil, and, and I think one of the things of discussions I've had with folks is that think about crude oil. You know, it's one of the most highly traded commodities in the world, you know, the volume, and so people are, you know, a lot of other commodities then take their direction from crude oil. And when we look at ag commodities, certainly there's a couple, you know, a couple things we have to look at here that, you know, certainly have been driven by that. Corn has been driven by that, obviously, and has moved down. And we've seen lows in corn. When you look at, you know, nearby charts on corn, you know, we're at positions we haven't seen really since last fall, so last September. So are they dramatic? No. Uh, but they're they're certainly very low. I mean, we're not hitting we're hitting multi-month low, not multi-year lows. You look at soybeans, and soybean oil is a whole other story. Soybean oil, of course, has gone into biodiesel. We're looking at soybean oil hasn't hit these low points since October of 2000, 2006. So multi-year lows of almost 13 to 14, you know, 14 uh, years. So big, big move down in in, in soybean oil. Uh, which will be which will hurt crush margins, which will then eventually back up into beans and be uh, bad there. You know, the other thing that we've also talked about when we look at commodity markets and and what the impact is, which is negative, is that think about the consumption of food and you know and how commodity markets move or prices, and those are impacted. One of the most explanatory variables for agriculture demand is GDP, and when you're seeing uh, significant hits to GDP across the globe, you know, from China to here and back, um, that is going to negatively impact food demand and negatively impact commodity prices. And while that maybe we hope is short-lived and we think probably will, um, you know, that's a challenge right off, you know, that's a challenge for the markets right up front. And I think the other thing to think of, and we did mention crude oil, think about ethanol. We're not we're not consuming gasoline because people are staying home. That hurts ethanol consumption. And the other piece of this, which is a bit of a delayed delayed reaction when we look at the you know grains and oil seeds, is feed demand. Now, right now, feed demand is good because we have a we have a large number of, of livestock on feed, whether it's chickens or whether it's pigs or whether it's cattle. 
Um, but at some point with the prices, and think about beef, and beef is the one that gets hit the hardest, the fastest, is because of the restaurant trade. Eventually, those low prices of, of cattle are going to impact uh, retention of cattle, uh, and so you'll see numbers of cattle go down, which will you know delay the reaction from a, from a feed standpoint on corn um, and meal, of course, on hogs. So there are lots of impacts you know that are all right now, unfortunately, negative. Um, but I think at some point in the future, we will see this pick back up. Um, and then you also, you now start to run into to growing season or starting to get spring planting. And so there's things to think about there as well. So a lot, it's, I will tell you, it's, we thought about this, and I'm going to use an analogy. When the Trump administration came into office, there was so much going on all the time, and it was hard to keep up. And this is like that on steroids is that there's so much happening around coronavirus or COVID-19 almost hourly, it is hard to keep up and understand and try to understand the ramifications that across all agricultural markets. It's just been mind-boggling, to be honest. Yeah, Steve, it's one thing to say, well, everybody still has to eat, and that's true. But uh, what we're seeing, when you have a global economic shutdown, like maybe we've never seen before, it certainly... It, it impacts everything, and when you're closing restaurants, yeah, people are still yep. eating, but they're eating differently, eating uh, maybe uh, not as much in some cases or different things than maybe they would have before if they were just going out to eat at a restaurant. I mean, uh, the, the trickle-down effect, as you were just kind of alluding to, I mean, it, it reaches really all levels like something we've never really seen. No, that's that's exactly right, and... And, you know, people say, well, and you're right, people still have to eat, and people are going to eat, but they are going to eat differently. And the restaurant hotel trade, it gets hit immediately. And think about just from a beef perspective. And we're still going to eat beef, and we're still going to have people eating chicken, and there's still going to be pork and vegetables and fruits and stuff like that, but it's all going to be bought from a grocery store. They're not going to go out to eat. And when people go out to eat, they tend to eat probably a little bit more, and they tend to order beef off the menu because that's kind of the, I, I'm not going to say, it, it's sort of the preferred, it's sort of a celebratory sort of thing to eat out, um, and that market just goes away. And so the consumer, you know, and it, also I think when you go to a restaurant, maybe, you know, the amount of money you spend is a little less, um, what should I say, it, it's a little less of an object. But I think the other thing to think about in the restaurant trade you know, when you think of a recession, we think about, in the restaurant trade, we think that that middle, that Applebee's, Chili's, those folks get hit because people trade down to more quick service. You know, the white tablecloth doesn't get hit. But across, a, like this, like a, a shutdown and a potential recession, everybody's getting hit. It's not just QSR. It's not just those middle ground. It is, it is also white tablecloth. And so that changes the whole thing. And now you do get... You know, the other thing that's happening, and it's been well-documented news in the media, is about the hoarding. People are going to the grocery store and buying everything they can, um, and, you know, frozen vegetables are gone, meat's gone, all those sorts of things. So now you get this, you know, retail sales are going to look great this week, but what does it look like in the future as people, you know, either get quarantined or dwindle their stocks or don't need anything because they're so stocked up? So you get that, that whiplash as well, but this is... This is almost unprecedented. I'm trying to think of a time to to sort of compare this to, and it's really hard to compare it to. Even 9/11, which shut down a lot of the United States, you know, for a few days or for at least a week, but it's nothing like this where people have, you know, 
people have you know hunkered down and hunkered down home with their families and and you know stayed in. So it's a it's dramatically different, and I don't know that we've I can't think of a comparison at this point. We're talking with Steve Nicholson with Robo AgriFinance. So for farmers, especially those holding on to grain and yeah. getting ready to go out and plant another crop, what are their marketing opportunities here? Yeah, no, this is a it's it's a great question, one I thought about before we came on the air. It's a very difficult time because you have futures, you know, seemingly almost finding it's like the, you know trying to catch the knife. Um, can't seem to find a bottom, and I think that's the scary part when we look at the futures market. Where is that bottom, and what sort of sets it in? So I think there's a couple things to be thinking about here as we watch. And yes, we are going to go and get ready to go to field, and and that makes you know that makes that marketing thing a little more uh, a little more dramatic, or I shouldn't say dramatic, but a little bit more pressing right now because when we get to field, I don't want to come out to do marketing, but I I always encourage people that don't forget about marketing while you're in the field, and I understand. The pressures of the moment, but um, let's not forget that. So, futures. Obviously, we don't know what will happen to futures because I think it all pretends on what happens to crude oil, and do we see it spouting back here soon? And so, near term, I think it's futures and being a lot of pressure, and that may not be the thing to be doing is selling futures. But watch your basis levels. We always talk about this, and, and this is so important. You know, basis levels have not dived, have not have not decreased. They've at least stayed relatively relatively uh, stable, and and part of that I think is a couple things happening. Uh, if you look at end users, whether it's you know looking at elevators, looking at end users, food manufacturers, they're working down their inventories at this point because they don't know what to do is either. They don't really want to pay the higher basis levels because they think, well, if we get to, get to closer to spring, we'll get bins cleaned out or things will have to be moving so that base level will come down. And the fact that you know, and the fact is that futures are so low, bases is hung up there. So I would say from a producer standpoint, I think your basis opportunity might be right now a little bit. Start to, you know, kind of start to sell into that basis market. You could see a little bit uptick as we get closer to spring as farmers aren't marketing crops. That basis come up. But I think futures are going to be hard-pressed to move much higher, you know, in the short term. And let's say 30 to 90 days. Uh, under the circumstances that we are right now. But once we get past that time period, and also, you know, we have to watch the coronavirus, how that, met, you know, manifests out before futures, I think, have a lot of, have a potential to move up. You know, the other thing I'm watching is the weather. Um, I don't know what it is over there in Jacksonville, but it's still relatively pretty wet here in the St. Louis area. Um, Sunday when I was out, we had a half inch of rain here in the area, and there was water standing in the fields, which tells me there's a lot of water you know, water holding, there's a lot of capacity, or a lot of, not much capacity in the soil to hold much water. So I think there may be some opportunities, but I think you have to kind of pick your way into them, and I would start with the bases first, uh, and then I would worry about futures later at this point. All right, Steve, wow, so much going on, and as you said, just <laughs> sure uh, it's just hard to sort through it all. It's, we're all learning as we go here. Thanks a lot for being Absolutely. with us. Stay safe. No problem. Thanks, Mike. Good to take Good to talk to you. Take care. Steve Nicholson, Grain and Oil Seeds Analyst for Rabo AgriFinance. Well, we're going to talk next with the CEO, President and CEO of the National Milk Producers Federation, Jim Mulhern, will join us. We're going to take a look at what uh, how the dairy industry is dealing with uh, COVID-19 and what's being done to help dairy producers through this time uh, as we're all going through uh, 
events that we're just not used to and trying to find a, a new normal here and finding some normalcy in our lives and how we deal with things and access things that we need. We'll be talking about that next. So stay with us. You're listening to AOA. information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. So as we all learn each day how to adapt and adjust to what's going on around us with the uh, coronavirus situation, we continue to look at how different sectors of agriculture are dealing with it. And to talk about the dairy industry, we're very happy to have with us the president and CEO of the National Milk Producers Federation, Jim Mulhern. Jim, good to talk with you again. Uh, can Give us an update on how the dairy industry is dealing with this situation. Well, thanks, Mike. And it's good to be with you this morning. Uh, the dairy industry, like uh, all every part of the country and the U.S. economy and, frankly, the world's economy, is... Uh, is struggling to deal with the uh, the COVID-19 outbreak and uh, implications from both a public health standpoint and an economic standpoint. Those are going to be the challenges. You know, for dairy, we have issues along the entire supply chain from the farm right through to uh, retail. And the issues there are supply chain, making sure that product is there. Um, the good news is that dairy cows are producing milk uh, 24-7, uh, cows are being milked, that milk is going to market, products being manufactured. There are no issues with getting product um, you know, through the manufacturing process and to stores at this point, other than we saw the, you know, the run this weekend on uh, the dairy section and virtually every other section of grocery stores throughout the country. So this is going to have impact. It is going to be with us for a while. Uh, we're trying to prepare to deal with those impacts. So far, in terms of supply, no issues. But again, we have you know labor issues. We're going to have to be watching for the health of our workers, our families, um, all along that supply chain. So it's certainly one that is a, a cause for concern for everybody in the country and the world, frankly. Yeah, the supply chain is the key. And the old saying I think applies. You know, the, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. And and there's so many links in that supply chain. And when if you start having workers that can't be at work, uh, that certainly uh, threatens that supply chain. It does indeed, and that's really the you know the issue. At, you know, and you can look at this at every point in that continuum, Mike, from the farm right on through to retail. And uh, the these are all issues that we're mapping out and looking at and talking to federal agencies to ensure that any steps taken by the federal government don't uh, you know disrupt that supply chain. In fact, we need steps to maintain a smooth flow through the supply chain. Uh, but it, it, this is going to be a challenge for us for a while. We're hopeful that um, we can minimize any of those impacts, keep milk flowing, keep it delivered to stores. You know, demand, I think, is probably going to be up in terms of of home use because people are going to be more in the home. Um, so retail, you know, getting milk and dairy products to the stores is going to be important to keep them stocked. Food service, we could see some negative impact as restaurants throughout the country you know, close or curtail hours or minimize uh, crowds in there uh, or go to, you know, carry out only. Uh, food services in there, we could expect to see impact. So this is going to be one that's going to affect dairy, and we're going to have to deal with uh, 
deal with this for some time. Sometimes during emergencies or, or a crisis, decisions get made that seem like they're good at the time but can have long-lasting impacts, sometimes negative impacts. I'm sure you're talking uh, with administration officials and and members of Congress about, you know, when you when you enact something or you, you take steps, uh, make sure, uh, you know, that there aren't unintended consequences or try to avoid some areas of concern, right? Well, that's exactly right, Mike. And we're, you know, in a good position here at National Milk Producers Federation from the standpoint that our um, our general counsel, um, Clay Detlefson, is the uh, chairman of the U.S. government's uh, food and agriculture sector coordinating council, which is one of, there are, there are 16 uh, critical infrastructure sectors that are overseen by the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, and Clay has been uh, chairman of that group for, for many years. He works with all of the federal agencies involved in this. And for us, that's everything from, from the White House through USDA, um, Food and Drug Administration, Environmental Protection Agency, FEMA, the uh, Emergency Management Agency, Homeland Security, and others trying to coordinate a, a federal response. And the point you made in your question is, is spot on. You want to make sure the decisions you make don't have uh, negative, harmful, unintended consequences. Um, and you've got to balance public health here with the need to keep food moving through the system and deliver to stores. So this group is working very closely um, through all the federal agencies and with the food and agriculture community to make sure that we're covering uh, those issues and addressing them effectively. So even though there may be some spot shortages at your local grocery store, depending on you know that particular situation, overall, the dairy supply chain is still open and, and running well? The dairy supply chain is open, is running well. We have not seen major impacts yet. Um, obviously, you know, we're watching this very closely. And the, you know, one of the concerns certainly is at the processing sector. If, you know, if we have um, worker illnesses, you know, that could cut back shifts. Uh, and then you have knockoff effects there of the inability to process as much product. We're fully expecting to have negative impact uh, from this coronavirus situation on our industry. There's, there's no question about that. And um, what we need to do here in the, in the near term is anticipate those challenges and make sure that we put uh, uh, policies and programs in place to try to deal with them. Can't predict them all. We don't know yet. Uh, but we are you know, working hand in glove with the federal agencies and in ongoing contact with members of Congress to let them know what we're seeing in the country with respect to the milk supply and the need, you know, the potential need down the road for policies to to address these problems. All right, Jim, good to talk with you. Thank you for the update. Stay safe. Thank you for being with us. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. Take care. Jim Mulhern, president and CEO of the National Milk Producers Federation. So the good news on the food side, we have the food, we have the supply. Uh, The challenge is going to be to keep that supply chain open and moving, and that may become more of a challenge moving forward, uh, depending on the the health situation of the workers that are involved in that supply chain. So, again, we all have to work together, take care of each other, be mindful of each other and each other's needs, and uh, 
working together, we'll get through this. Thank you very much for being with us. We'll continue tomorrow to take a look at the impact of uh, COVID-19 and uh, what are, what's being done to deal with it now and into the future. Stay with us each day right here on AOA. Stay safe, everyone. <laughs>